All we need is a place to be And a few good friends for some company If you'd like to stay, you don't have to leave We'll leave the lights on and the door unlocked If you drop on by, you don't have to knock We're happy to share whatever we've got Hi, I'm Clay, and this is Yarn About You, a podcast where I get to chat with people I know and love, as well as people I'd just like to meet and hear their story. Yarn About You would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast was recorded. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging, for passing on their knowledge and stories, keeping the Indigenous culture alive for all generations to come. Today's guest is actress Maxine Clippingatis. Maxine is an absolute legend in Australian television with credits in such shows as Neighbours, where she played Paul Robinson's first wife, Special Squad, Fields of Fire, The Flying Doctors, Family and Friends, Hampton Court, Colin Carpenter, All Together Now, Blue Healers, Round the Twist, Martial Law, MDA and so much more. She's fondly remembered as Bobby Mitchell in the iconic television show Prisoner, where she had a two-year run. I'd like to have a special thank you to Rick Ireland, who's the person who connected Maxine and I a few years ago. This connection has resulted in many long phone calls where we've discussed the industry, politics and pretty much solved all the problems of the world. Thanks, Rick. I've always been a fan of Maxine. She's a bright light and a genuinely beautiful person who I'm very proud to call my friend. I hope you enjoy our yarn. Maxine Klibingatis, I am so happy to be sitting in front of you. I really am. You know I am. We've known each other for a couple of years, but this is actually the first time we're sitting in front of each other. I can't say what a pleasure it is (laughs) to finally meet you. We've been talking about uh, someone that's been a connector for both of us um, for such a long time, and we've become friends with that, and I feel as though I know your family. Yeah, well, you do, really. And the person is beautiful Miss Abigail, who we both know and love and um, and always will. But I want to know about you today. Yep. So tell me about your parents. Oh, Okay. Let's go right back. My father and my mother were both migrants. Mum came from the UK and they were the 10-pound poms. And Dad came from Lithuania. Oh, that's right. He worked as a cleaner and at night time. And then during the day he studied insurance and so he became an insurance broker. And, uh, And he met my mother at RACV Insurance in the city. They got married and started a family and... That was me and my sister Caroline, my brother Francis, oh, he'll hate that, Frank, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and Belinda. Beautiful. And you've always been based in Melbourne? Always. Except for work and and the like, but yeah, always lived here. So you've had quite a long career in the entertainment industry. How did that start? What was the first, what was your first gig or what was your first inkling that, that you wanted to be on stage or in front of the camera? I think I always just knew. And I just remember going into the ABC and I was 17 and a half and I said to, I didn't realise it was the casting director who I now know to be Greg Abbs, um, who's no longer the casting person at the ABC, but he he was there and I said, do you need any actresses? I so up myself really, quite frankly, because, well, I wasn't an actress really. And he said, yes, we do, and gave me a cold reading and then I got the train home and then the bus and then I walked and when I got home, Mum said the ABC had called and she didn't know I'd, where I'd been. <laughs> and so I rang them back and they said, could you come in again tomorrow, which I did, and then they said, you've got the role. And it was in a kid's show called Home. 
And um, I did that for five weeks and then we wrapped. And while I was there, somebody told me that Grundy's, as they were then, they're now Fremantle, were auditioning for a character. I didn't even know it was for Prisoner, actually, just that they were looking for someone who was small and but had to be about 18. And I thought, oh, I'll just ring them and do the same thing, which I did. I rang and said, hi, how are you going? Do you need any actresses? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and so they said yes. And so again, I got, oh, walked down to the bus stop, got a bus, then a bus to the train station, then got a train to from because my parents, my family lived out in Mulgrave, which is near Springvale. It's a, Springvale Station was the closest station and then had to get the, the train into Paran. And then from there, I had to walk to the to the head office, and um, and I auditioned. I didn't even know it was for prison actually, and I thought, well, this is really easy. They're probably just going to give me the job because I can't see anyone else here. Mm. This is stupid. <laughs> and same thing happened. I went home, did all that again, and Mum said, "I'm going to do my mother's voice. This is how we do an impression of my mother at home." She's very dead, so she and she didn't mind when she was alive, by the way. <laughs> and she said, "Mr. Grundy rang." She, she di- again, she didn't know where I'd been, <laughs> and I said, "Oh yeah." So I rang them back, and they said, "Could you come in again tomorrow?" And yeah, I've done this before. So I went in the next day, same old thing, and they said, "Congratulations, you are Bobby in Prisoner." And I said, "Oh okay," thinking I really haven't watched that show. Mm. I don't. My sisters did, and I knew of the show, of course, but. I hadn't watched it and I thought, oh, shit, I really don't know. I can't. No, that's ridiculous. How am I going to – they gave me the script. I met the uh, producer, the associate producer, Ian Smith, who became – well, he was an actor at the time anyway or prior to and he became Harold in Neighbours. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and they were so happy to see me and I thought, I don't know, is this like a joke? So I went home. As seriously, I didn't have an agent. I had nothing. I knew nothing. I went home and I went home with a script on the train. Wow. And I've since written a book about that because uh, Bobby, I said on in my book, um, I read the script and Bobby read the train stations. But after I told her, you know, what the show was about, she really dug it. <laughs> And um, and that was it. You know, I stayed for two years on that show. But what happened was because I had no agent. Initially, when you get a long run offer, um, really, there's no real contract because it's all one way. It's their way, not yours at all. So they can just let you go at any time. But they say it's for three months, and so then you think, oh, I've got three months of this, mm. and then we'll see what happens. Well, um, my character came in at the same time as another character, and she left after eight weeks. And I thought, oh, I'll be next. It doesn't matter. At least I'll have done the three months. That's good. But <clears throat> they got my dad in, or my father, right? So since I've done my mother's voice, I'll do dad. <laughs> oh, yes. Hello, uh, Sue Masters. How do you do? <laughs> my name is Jürgis Klivengaitis, <laughs> and I am here to represent my daughter uh, as her manager. Right? Couldn't have been more fucking chunky if he tried. Talk about dodgy brothers. So I went from basic wage, which I think was something like $800 a week or something like that. But when I finished Prisoner, because I had no agent, 
and I had my manager. Yeah, he had a great manager by the sounds of it. Every three months, apparently, your agent would say, that's great, you want to keep my actor on for another 12 months, that's brilliant. Yeah, and there'd be no pay rise, really. There may be a bit of negotiation, but Mm. not a huge one. But no, because I was stuck with my dad in his Sunday best and Sue Masters saying, oh, hi, Mr Clippingatus. Now, we still want to keep up. That's good. Well, another three months it is. I was ended up clearing two grand a week. Wow. As a kid, I was 20 when I left that show and I chose to leave because I'd had enough. Really, mm. my character was never going to go anywhere. She's just going to say, oh, bloody hell, oh, shut up. It's not my fault. No one loves me. And it was just more of that. And at one point we were offered, the writers used to come in, and Ian Smith did ask Genevieve Lemon, who my character was cellmates with, and I one day, have you had any thoughts about storylines? And we never really thought like that. We we just did what we were told, really. And... We said, look, we've been talking, it'd be great if our characters could have a storyline where they, they got out and they got day release or some sort of release where they're able to have a little flat and it, it gets it goes, you know, belly up and they have to come back. He said, no, you, mm, you're really talking about a spin-off. Well, no, we weren't. So, look, after that, I, I, I thought, no, nah, nothing's going to happen here and I'm 20, I might as well just keep moving. Mm. So I took uh, my manager with me and, and my, my chef, my personal chef, there we go, dinner, <laughs> um, Mr Grundy rang. And, uh, and then I just kept moving and from that I knocked back neighbours but I then had an agent by then I found one and she said, why don't you just do it for a couple of months and then – at least that's like fill in some time. And literally they just offered it to me. So I did it for the last three months that it was at Channel 7. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go across to Channel 10. So I just moved on from that and just did other things. And I'm happy I did. Yeah, I'm happy absolutely. I left prisoner when I did. I really am. Oh, it was. A, it was. It's such an institution. That show in two years is incredible. That's yeah. a, that, that's a great run. Yeah. It's, it always fascinated me how such a um, – uh, so many storylines could come from people being locked up. Oh, how ridiculous. And I was just going to say, they ended up um, having halfway houses and things, which is the storyline which you wanted anyway. They, did, they had that before, yeah. Oh, okay. But they referred back to it quite a bit. It would have been good if, if Bobby and Marlene had been trying to do their own thing. Anyway, that didn't happen. But my character was initially in for petty theft. So two years is a very long time. I know. So she just have she had to keep escaping to so that she ah so she got kept in there yes ah, so okay. she'd have to front the VJ and then go oh not again <laughs> did you did you get out in the laundry basket or in the back of a truck she tried to get underneath the rubbish the pickup okay. yeah and Myra found her that was played by the beautiful late Annie Phelan mm. um and. Another time she went over the fence and spent one night in St Kilda but she got sprung by two screws who were having dinner together as a youth <laughs> in Fitzroy Street in St Kilda and happened to see her with her Wentworth emblem ripped <laughs> oh, off her. No. Ripped off her she, I don't know how she did that. That would have really been hard to do. Yeah. She ripped it out so she, she didn't look like obvious to the cops or anything and uh, they saw her and then she went back and she got in solitary and you know. so what was your what was your best memory from the prisoner days the, pretty much the um the friendships and from the, from what i hear you were a very close casting crew very close and still are mm. i mean they're dropping off a bit we've lost a few but the people in the oh crew even crew very close 
you know, very, very close. Uncle Rabies was one of our floor managers and it didn't matter what was wrong, if you were tired or you were hungry or, um, or he'd help with things, just everything, he would help, just cleverly negotiate and navigate from the floor and so that nothing became a problem. It always fascinates me um, and it's hard to explain to anybody who hasn't experienced it the closeness and the friendships that you make on a film set. Everybody works together to make this amazing dream and it's they're your family. You're with them all day, all night, every day. And um, people who haven't experienced don't understand the connection that you have with other actors or people who you've created a show with. That's exactly true. And, you know, um, I just remember because of, there was quite an age gap between myself and the rest of the cast for a while there before Genevieve came into the show, my friends were from Young Talent Time who were in the studio across the hallway. I, you end up knowing everything about one another's lives as well. I mean, you'd know that. You bond with with people that you work with so closely. You get changed in front of one another. You see each other mm. in your knickknacks, you know. While you're saying, oh, yes, well, last night, and it's nothing that you're in your undies. Who cares? Yeah. Or while you're running lines. Oh, yes, running lines and, you st- you know, and prisoner they were putting on a bra or something, you know, uh, or not, taking mm-hmm. one off, yeah. you know. So, yeah. And our makeup was always hilarious because it was really day four bruise, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. It was never glamorous, ever. Oh, there were a few little things we did. I think Bobby, that's right, she escaped once by accident. Mm-mm. Um, <laughs> by ac- how do you she, escape by accident? I don't know. You get caught up in someone else's really clever plan. Oh, okay. And you're like, oh, how did she – accidentally stolen a kid from the prison. And so <laughs> she, they put her out in the streets in King's Cross. It was a two-week OV, outside broadcast. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so she was a prostitute. She came back up the duff. But then she lost the baby at the – they had a fate, an open day, as if a prison would have a big open day. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Welcome, <laughs> kids. Come on the fair as well. possibly go wrong? Mm. So uh, yeah. uh, for the here and now, um, for most of it, for most of it, it was they tried to stay very true to life in, in prison. Now, I remember, is this the story you're talking about in the cross where you went off in costume? Was that that day? <gasps> that was when I did a film before. We were on this. We were talking about the same thing. I did a film called Candy Regentag, and I played a prostitute in that. I mean, you know, there you go, all the glamour roles. <laughs> and she had these little leather shorts on and a little matching white sort of little midriff um, top, and a big belt that said yes, and cowboy boots. And there was another girl in it. That was equally, she was you know playing a prostitute as well. So. We went off to pick something up from for her from the dry cleaner in the cross and while we walked past the pleasure chest, uh, it said girls wanted and we were ready to go. Like We had to go back to work anyway so we went in as if. <laughs> as if it were. They said now, you know, um, you'll only have to do this. They showed us what the little booths that you danced in and stuff and we said, oh, yeah, okay, as if we were ever really going to do it. And then... They said, so you both hired. Ooh, there's a big job <laughs> offer right there. And they said, you won't have to do anything private or anything. That's that's for some of the other girls if they want to. And I thought, yeah, right. That's just not true. And so anyway, they said, well, we'll see you tonight then about six o'clock. We said, well, we'll see you then. And we didn't. But we went back <laughs> and we did be told 
um, James Rickardson was our director and we said, we just got jobs so if you don't want us anymore, we've got other things lined <laughs> That's up. That's right. Come back up, baby. <laughs> That's brilliant. So Prisoner, mm. straight on to Neighbours after that, yep. did you say? Yep. And after Neighbours? I did some guest roles in things like Special Squad oh, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, and then, see, I can't even remember properly. I know I did Colin Carpenter, did that mm-hmm. as a guest performer. MDA I did. As well, um, Flying Doctors, uh, Shark Bay with Rowena Wallace mm-hmm. as well. I remember Shark Bay. And, yeah, not many people do. Um, and we actually did a send-up of Prisoner on it. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't ever see it and I'd like to have a look at it now. Okay. I'll ask. I've got some friends who have connections at the archives. I'll see if I can find out and get hold of something for you. No. Oh. Rowena would like to see it as well. When I last saw her, I said, Rowena, I haven't seen you since we worked on Shark Bay. She said, who are you? <laughs> no. That's all right. I said, oh, Maxine. She said, yes, but what do you mean Shark Bay? I don't know. Oh, fuck it, I don't know. I don't think cigarettes around here. So um, she doesn't remember it. So if your friends can get old, <laughs> we might jolt her memory forth. Leave it with me. We'll see what we can do. Yeah. yeah. And so after that, done so many different things. Um, there was, um, I did, well, Family and Friends, which is where I met Abigail, and she mm-hmm. played my mother in that show, and that was such fun. She was so funny and so clever, and we had a ball. We had an absolute blast, on camera and off. She was just beautiful, you know. We love her. Absolutely, we do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people um, are surprised to know that Abby's actually very shy, she Painfully. really is very shy, absolutely. And um, a lot of people don't understand that. And um, she's very happy. She doesn't want to be interviewed and I don't, I don't see any reason to that disrespect that. that. But a lot of people still can't understand the fact that she doesn't want to be on the front of magazines, which, yeah. But and we both know she's as beautiful as ever. She may as well just... She absolutely is. She is. Yeah. She's stunning. Absolutely. In she every just, way, she's just a beautiful lady. She's a gorgeous human being. And no, I, I'm with her. Family and friends, it was so disappointing that nothing happened with that show. It had all the ingredients of a, a great series. It was fantastic. The cast was incredible. Who who was in the cast? Well, Anne Phelan, who I'd worked with on Prisoner and Colin Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we lost Anne a couple of years ago, didn't Yeah, we? Um, I miss her actually um, pretty much every day. She told me one day during Prisoner that we were, we were sitting outside on a hill waiting to be called down to do something throw a ball or something and um she said how old are you and I said at that stage 19 and she said I have a daughter your age somewhere and they finally found one another it's about um eight years ago oh wow so when you say she found a daughter she actually she literally, literally found her daughter or her daughter found her Sandy wow. who looks just like Annie oh really yeah and a beautiful person Oh, and had so a great good. upbringing too. Annie had her, had to have her adopted out because that was what her family deemed the decent thing to do. I think her dad might have been the local cop. I could be wrong. And her mother was possibly a school teacher or had something to do with their um, pretty tight-knit community. And so it was a little bit frowned upon. So Annie had this little baby and had to give it away and, and didn't really talk about it very much, that whole mm. episode. And, um, yeah, so... That, yeah, that had a very happy ending. 
Very happy. Oh, that's um, that's fantastic. Um, who else was in the cast? Diane. Diane Craig. Diane Craig. Yep. Um, Justine Clark. Yeah, Simon Justin, Westaway. Rachel Beck. Yeah, Roxanne Wilson. Yeah, beautiful Roxanne. Seen her or heard of her? What do you know? What she's doing? Um, I met Roxanne uh, when we were filming Clowning Around in Perth oh. in '91. I think she was at Whopper then. Uh. Um, so it was before. Uh, was it just before Family and Friends? She's so beautiful. She's lovely. She's such a good yeah. person. Who else? Um, Renato Bartolomei played mm-hmm. the Romeo character. But it just never. I think they didn't. Yeah, it was supposed to be like Romeo and Juliet. It were two feuding families, mm-hmm. and the drama, for some reason, I don't know why, didn't quite gel. And I don't think Channel Nine gave it enough of a go. They should have left it a bit longer because there was such a lot of hype to begin with before it even started. And you or that's always that's too loud, too much. It's too mm. busy, and people are just going. They almost don't want to watch it. And that's kind of what happened. Um, the comedy was really clever. And really funny. And the writers were on – we had our own studio, so we had our own dressing rooms in there and it was isolated from the rest of Channel 9. We were out somewhere, I don't know, in somewhere land. And um, the writers were there as well. They had their own room and they would write pretty much on on, on the run. Oh, wow. It's a privilege for everybody, nervous-making for them, but yeah. a privilege for everybody else. But it's such a, a, a major advantage to be there with the cast, to be able to interact with the cast, to be able to see what's happening, to be able yeah. to... Yeah, that would have been a great um, way to do it. Yeah, and, and it, it should have worked. And everybody, like you say, it was a very strong cast. Um, um, Jonathan Hardy was in it, mm-hmm. the great and late Jonathan Hardy. And Dinah Shearing. Dinah Shearing. We recently lost Dinah Shearing as well. Oh. I, I bumped into Dinah over at, um, uh, at Woolworths one day a local Woolworths because she lived in the area. And I introduced myself and, and um, she was tiny. She was really little. And I said, uh, oh, you worked with a friend of mine and, you know, we should get you together. And it was Miss Abigail. Mm. And she said, oh, yes, I would have loved to work with Abigail. Oh. I, said, I said, you did on Family and Friends. <laughs> she said, did we? Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, Rowena was, Wallace didn't remember me, so oh. that's all right then. But, no, she was a, she was a lovely lady too. Very but, nice lady. And I know after Family and Friends, Hampton Court came after that? Hampton Court came along, which I did not enjoy. No? No. I, you know, there are sitcoms and then there are shitcoms. So Hampton Court was a spin-off of Hey Dad. Yes, it was, for the Betty character. Okay. And so. everybody was perfectly nice on the, on the show, don't get mm. me wrong there. It was just that we're not living in the 50s and 60s anymore with sitcom, you yeah. know. And they had a, a routine that they'd that had worked for them on Hey Dad for such a long time that um, – so you're you're an actor. I mean, mid-joke, you deliver the what was meant to be the joke and that you'd have to wait. They'd call out, laugh. Oh, so it was laugh track. They didn't know. They would just call it out in the rehearsal. Laugh. Wow. And you'd have to stand there like a moron, frozen moment, and then continue on with the scene. So was that filmed in it front of a live audience? It was with an audience twice a day on a Saturday, yeah. So if Two shows a day. So if a joke didn't get a laugh, I suppose it had the applause sign. They just wanted us to wait for it. Well, what would be silly that we can't – we're going to talk over someone laughing and clapping? Well, that's going to completely stuff up your timing too. It did, yeah. Yeah. And so the cast were really, really nice. We all got along really well, but we were stuck with this 
archaic, old-fashioned Three's Company, mm. you know, sort of old 70s, you know. Gary Riley was the producer and the creator of the show and um, I think it was based on his life in the UK as a young and and uh, I think his hairstyle was still stuck there as well. <laughs> I don't mind saying what I think. That'll do for him now. Yeah, why not? Give him too much publicity. <laughs> um, the other writer on that show was absolutely brilliant and a really decent person. And I, I know he's gone on to um, John Flanagan. Oh, okay. And he's gone on to write these great novels. I've not read them, so I'm saying great novels. But I've read that they are great mm-hmm. and I believe that. Um, his daughter is a comedian, Kitty Flanagan. Oh, really? I love Kitty. Yeah, she's very clever, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's so fast. And he spoke very highly of his family. He was a very decent man, and I think he knew he knew, and he he was just he was probably putting the jokes in where Gary Riley it would always end up something. Gary Riley once said to me, um, "Can you go cross-eyed?" And I said, "No, no, I don't, can't do that." Mm. Oh, look at that! Oh, <laughs> that's a good no, idea. Just, just stand straight ahead. Look at that! I can. <laughs> No, I was not going to because I knew that was going to be the end of the episode and then it was going to be in the ads for it and I'm just going to look like a bloody idiot. (laughs) I'm a vaudeville. I thought that died. (laughs) No, I said, no, I can't do that. Oh, what a shame. I love being on a film set. There's um, Mm. uh, Sorry, on a a stage set, Um, whether it's a sitcom or anything. it's, it's, it's It's such a magical thing to be there. And to see the false walls and to see the crew in action. And, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. I've never done um, live studio audience before. Colin Carpenter was a live one as well. My mother got hit in the head with a bloody mentee. Ah. She, was sitting, she was sitting in the studio audience and they throw lollies out to the audience and mum got – she came um, into the green room after the show and she had a big lump on her head. Oh, no. Got hit in the head with a mentee. Oh. That's right, said the manager. <laughs> a minty came flying out to the left. Hit your mother right in the head. I think it served her right. <laughs> but working with an audience in that situation, because it's kind of theatre but it's not, and being rehe- it, it's pretty easy work actually when I think about it. Well, it was. 10 o'clock start in the morning and finish at 1. That's, that's an easy day of rehearsal. Yeah, it's a great day. Go home, right? Mm. Go home, make yourself a little sunny. And um, I don't know why I keep doing my mother. I have to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that, like, that's it. <laughs> I know, silly, isn't it? Because I've got so many of her isms yeah, it's that we just still do in the family. Yeah. Just wanted to see if you're going up properly. Hey, what mother barges into your room to see that? <laughs> So what did she say? She just barged in. Yeah, I just wanted to check if you if you're growing up properly. <laughs> How old were you? I don't. Probably twenty. I don't know. <laughs> and were you growing up properly? I think so. Done all right <laughs> until now. Still here, bless them. But that whole live audience. That well, you wouldn't. It's a live audience. Well, it's not going to be any other audience, is it? When they say it's shot in front of a live audience, mm. you'd hope so. Yeah. Well, we hope they're not dead. That's it. That's the alternative. It always amazed me, like uh, doing stage in front of a live audience. Uh, I, I worked on uh, a Noel Coward play, Private Lives. It was incredible how each audience would laugh at different things, or something that you think would 
be normal. They'd react in a different way. It's it's so yeah. I, it's it's kind of energizing to work with an audience because you pick up different things all the time and you you ride the wave. If it's a flat audience, you feel it and it comes across in your in, in your performance, um, even though you try your hardest not to. But um, but yeah, if you can ride a wave, it's fantastic. I've just realised I worked on All Together now as well, which is a yep. sitcom also. Mm-hmm. And that John was English, great fun. Yeah, Rebecca that was Gibney. really good fun. Jane Hall, I still yeah. see Jane from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jacobson. I Bruno? I don't know. Oh, Bruno Lucia, very mm-hmm. funny. Chicky Babe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that lasted quite a, that lot, was quite a while. a long run. And a good, solid one too. They had very good directors, I see. Yeah. And it had a lot of um, cohesion, you know. It's a very solid production. So, yeah, Hampton Court, I don't know. Never mind. It's in the past. Get up. <laughs> there was a time, I will add something else on, that I said once to, we had the one director always, the same person, and she was a lovely person, uh, and I said, oh, why are there no credits for the hideous song, the theme song? It's horrible. Where did they find someone to write that? And she said, don't ever say that out loud again. And I said, why? She said, because Gary Riley wrote it. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't credit himself for it. Okay. Yeah, have, to, have to have a listen to it. Torturing yourself. Oh, <laughs> I'll just give you – I won't sing it, but I'll give you a few lines of how it starts. I think everyone will get the idea. Got no worries at all. I'm over the wall. This is about four young people living in a flat. Over the wall? I'm over the – oh, I said I wasn't going to sing mm. Over the wall, um, I'll let you know where I'm going when I get there. Out from under the thumb, I'm out on the run. There's no looking back over my shoulder. <laughs> okay. Got my own nest of sin, got my own rubbish bin. And, I'm, <laughs> and I know, you've got to sit up late to think hard. <laughs> and I'm ready to begin. I don't know what the nest of sin is. Oh, I've no idea. <laughs> Never seen one. Fair enough. So I did ask an inqu- I made an inquiry and I was told never to mention it. <laughs> I was just curious. I've got nothing to say. No. I don't know what to say to that. You all right now? Yeah, I'm fine. You need, you need a little I'm just Panadol. Have a drink of water. <laughs> so, your boy. Yes. Mighty Zane. Tell me about the Mighty Zane. Zane is 30. No, he's not. He's, he'll be 30 in, at the end of the year. So I just think of him as 30. But. He's going off to France on Wednesday with his grandmother um, and she lives in France anyway. So she's been here for a couple of years. Well, she came here with her husband, <coughs> Zane's grandfather, and he died while he was here. So she has to go back obviously without him and she's taking Zane instead. So they're going to the Cannes Film Festival because she lives opposite the, where the festival is held. Oh, wow. I know. And she has... Like, I think she's got passes to everything and same will be in heaven. And then they're spending a week in Paris after that. Oh, he'll love it. He'll he will. Because he hasn't been before. He's never been overseas. And um, and Zane's, obviously, I've never met him, but from what I can tell, he's a very creative soul. He's very creative and really smart. Yeah, he's very, very clever and in, a good, in, in the best of ways. You know, I'm very proud of him. He's a really good soul. He's a really good spirit. He's... Uh, he's very talented. In fact, we did a radio show for ABC Radio Seven Seven Four. That his father, my late husband, everyone around them is popping off. Um, yeah, he's dead. But uh, before he died, we wrote this show. Um, it was an ongoing show for radio. We had a really nice little cast as well, 
And Zane was in it too. He had to he was just to get him out of school early on a Thursday and he'd do a couple of um characters and it was really good fun. And we I wrote the characters that were social characters for characters that would phone in. It was a breakfast show, a, you know, a send up of it. It's great when you get some creative people together, the things that you can pull together, the things that And we had freedom too. We had this producer and that was it. So and he really didn't know all that much about being a producer and so not for things like these handling actors and stuff like that. So we really just had freedom to do what we liked, really. We did some slightly inappropriate things, really, but the ABC let them through anyway. That, that The time came for that to go and have you know, find its little place. It makes me sad to think that there's so many shows that can't be done today. Mm. Like if you think about the Paul Hogan show, you think about Benny Hill... And, and things like Mind Your Language, Mind Your Language, where they had every country stereotype in an in English lesson, um, and it was really over the top. And nothing in any of those shows was saying that what was happening was right. If you know, the, I, I think people think that the audience aren't smart enough to understand irony or to understand that you know the things that Benny Hill were doing were, was was uh, correct. And I think it's kind of like you said, we've lost a lot of freedom, a lot of things that we can do to to get messages across. I watched something, those guys are brilliant, fast forward, full frontal, the whole gang, right? Mm -hmm. And I watched something, it was just on YouTube or something the other night and they were all in blackface. That just wouldn't even get past the conversation, you know. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't be able to do anything like that. And it wasn't really offensive what they'd done at all. But But then we don't live in a culture, by the way, that's, I like the American culture too. They get, they're still really, really racist. Yeah, they are still racist. We're very lucky in Australia. Um, when you look around the world at the issues that are happening, you know, particularly now in Russia, and yeah. and there's unrest in Africa, South America, Asia. We're so protected here. We're very lucky with um with what we, what we have here, the freedom that we do have when we're not in lockdown. Hasn't COVID just changed everything? How have you survived COVID? Have you, first of all, have you had COVID? No. No, I haven't either. So none of I've our family I've tried have. hard to try and get it. I go out <laughs> every day for a little walk and go to the local store and whatever and nothing's happened. But I've had all of the vaccines and stuff like that. So. But what happens to a creative person when you can't be social or when you can't? How have you handled lockdown? Because I know you've got... Um, you had one little puppy at the time. Have two now. Tell me about Mr. Fox first. Well, Mr. Fox, I rescued him and I thought he was Helen Keller at first. I thought he was mute and now it turns out no. He's definitely not mute. No. Loves a chat. <laughs> and um, he's a little Jack Russell cross with a chihuahua. And then they rang me about eight months after I got Mr. Fox and they said, look, we've got another little one here, same sort of size, and um, anyway, when they said a Maltese Shih Tzu, when Zane was living at home prior to getting these two dogs, we had a, we had a um, mini foxy terrier cross with a chihuahua and, and we had, that was um, Pixie and the other one was Kinky, Kinky Jade Gehoover Friedman. <laughs> I know, because Friedman is actually Zane's surname. So... Um, so Kinky Friedman also is a um, a writer and a musician in the states, oh, in Texas. Okay. Yeah, so we're quite we quite love him. 
And um, so Kinky Freedom was a um, Maltese Shih Tzu. So now I've got a Maltese Shih Tzu and a, a Jack Russell cross with a Chihuahua. And Jaja, her name is Jaja Baboom, mm. and she is she has different coloured eyes. One's brown and one's blue. And I got her from the same place. She lived with an old man, that's all I know, because you don't know the backstory so much of dogs that you rescue and or cats. And this old man called her Bluey because she had one blue eye. Anyway, um. he passed away and the dog was given over to his daughter and she the dog escaped. Her name was Bluey. I totally changed it as soon as I saw her. I thought she's either going to be Geraldine Lorraine, like a librarian or something, mm-hmm. no offence to any librarians, uh, very much just stereotypical, and um, and uh, or she's going to be a sultry, uh, smoky sort of singer in a saloon or something. And I thought, yeah, she's a sultry singer in a saloon. She does have a bark. Sh- I, I liken her to, well, not in a rude way, Rhonda Birchmore. Mm-hmm. So he's the one of the three tenors, really. Mr. Fox, he's got a high pitch and she sort of comes in with an alto. And does she have an accent? And ha- Hungarian one because Zsa <laughs> actually means lily, I think, in Hungarian. Oh, really? Mm. I, um, I, I worked with an old American actor, Van Johnson, um, in Clowning Around and he used to talk about famous people all the time. And um, the only thing I remember, because now I wish I'd, could speak to him, I'd ask him so many questions. I mean, he was friends with an absolute idol of mine, um, Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy Durante oh. and like oh, uh, he was no. good friends with, um, best friends with Angela Lansbury and um, uh, who else, Elizabeth Taylor, yeah, Judy Garth. Yeah, he Gar- was from like, he was there. golden era. Yeah, he was yeah. in the 40s, he was he was top. And um, the only thing I remember him saying is about Zsa Gabor. He said, the Gabor sisters, they open their mouths more than they open their legs and that's saying something. Yeah, right. So that's I think the only, they got around. That's the only Jar Jar thing I remember. Yeah, one but of, what, there's Ava as well and then there's uh, Magda. Oh, is there another one? Is there yeah, a third, third, one. third Gabor? Mm. There you go. We'll learn. So, so your Jar Jar's got she, a Hungarian I, accent too? I think she does. Beautiful. I think she does. She'd like to wallop a cop or something like that. Or was it Ava? I can't remember. <laughs> no, it was Jar Jar. She slapped a cop. Yeah. So the, only, um, the only person I did ask Van about... Because um, one day he said to me, "You never ask me about anybody. You know, who, who do you want to know about?" And the only person I I really loved was Barbara Eden. Oh, I love Jeannie. I was always obsessed with Jeannie. Yeah. I was going to marry her. Yeah, and um, can. yeah, yeah, she's yeah. And well, she's on my list. So Amanda said, "If I ever get the opportunity, I can." Oh, that's very generous yeah. of Amanda. Um, but um, but uh, so I said Barbara Eden, and he just looked at me like I was crazy. And said, no one's ever asked me about her before. He said, but when I go back to America, I'm going to find her and I'm going to tell her you said hello. So um, I've always thought, oh, he's gone back and he's you know, yeah. told, told Barbara Eden about me. She's heard my name. So, and I know he never did, but um, a couple of years ago, just before COVID, I had the opportunity to go and get a photo with Barbara Eden. She was, she was up here. And um, <laughs> you only have like two seconds with these people. Mm. And I had to meet her just because I've adored her ever since I can remember. And um, I walked up and I said, Miss Eden, I worked with Van Johnson and he said he was going to come back to say hello to, say hello to you and blah, blah. And she just looked at me and said, I never met Van. And I said, I know. And we got our photo taken and I walked away and that was it. That's <laughs> all my, right. But you, I just wanted to let It went the other way know. around. You mentioned his name to her. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know that so, Bert Newton was very good friends with him. He was too. Mm. Yeah, he loved, he loved Bert. Van used to rave about Bert and, yeah, they were very close. I remember so, once on Prisoner. 
um, this is not related to Van Johnson, well, sort of is, I guess, in one sense, because Bert's involved, that we had a technical problem on set and everyone's sitting around and once it gets to a certain point, you start they have to pay overtime for crew and cast and stuff like that. So no one wants to go into overtime because then it looks like it's someone else's fault and everyone's passing the buck. So anyway, Annie Feel and said, ah, oh, bugger it. She just got the keys to the minivan that we had outside. She told Uncle Rabies where we were going. We went to the local restaurant in our uniforms, our prison uniforms, mm-hmm. and our bruises and stuff. And we went out for dinner. And we're sitting there. Can you imagine? Just sitting there like we'd just broken out of the hole <laughs> out of prison. And then Bert and Patty came over. They had been having dinner there as well. Oh, wow. And they were huge fans of the show. And How Patty, could they not be? Patty was all excited. She said, what about this episode and that episode? <laughs> this character, they knew more than we did. They were huge fans of the show. Oh, he was, it's so sad that we've lost Bert. Oh, I know. It really is. Um, yeah, just an absolute legend. He's... Um, his Logies were just legendary when he was when he hosted the Logies. That's 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 what you think of when you think of the Logies. You think of Bert, but um, but yeah, I, ne- I never got I, I I got to he was on a plane with me once, and it was at a particular hard time when they were giving him you know a terrible time in the magazines, which was all the time you know, and yeah. until somebody dies and then they say how wonderful they are, you think why don't they just leave people alone? But um, but. Yeah, he was standing there by himself and I was going to go up and, and just say, hey, you know, I'm friends with Van as well at the time. But I, I thought, no, he just needed his space. So I, I respected that. But I wish I'd gone up and had a talk to him um, because I know how much he loved Van. And I know, you know, we had that kind of connection. Yeah, Van always loved the Newtons. I, as a kid, because I used to wag school, like school what? I just didn't go. And I'd go in the morning and then go to roll call. This is in secondary school. And then just go home. And I'd watch Bill Collins, the midday movie. And often there'd be a Van often there'd be a Van Johnson movie yeah. on. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know who he was. And I found out now that my grandmother, who died when mum was thirteen, so I never got to meet her, adored Van Johnson. So He was a spunk. Well, yeah, when mum when mum came over to meet him, she was so excited and she said, My mum would have loved you. And oh. a couple of years later, um, Van came to um, Sydney again with a lady, Catherine Grayson. She was oh, another one of the legends. Actress, yes. yeah. And they came and they did a thing at Bankstown Town Hall where they stood at the front and they showed their movies and they, oh. they, they, they sat on the stage and then they got them to sing, which was really bad because Van was deaf as a doornail. Right. Um, and they got them both to sing mm. and they were both in their 80s. And oh, no. then they met them uh, like they were out the front. And halfway through it, because I got a message back that I was there and I'd worked with him a year or two before and I had Amanda with me. So Amanda got to meet him, which was incredible. Nice. Yeah. But um, so I said, I'll just hang back and we'll go and see him afterwards. But then message got back to us, you know, through people, through people, through people saying, um, excuse me, can you go and see Van? Because he's not signing any autographs until he sees you. So we went over and he hugged us and yeah, he was in the first thing he said was, where's your mom? Oh. So, yeah, he was um, he was he was a lovely, lovely man, and um, I just wish I'd I'd you know, <gasps> would love to have sat down and, and had a talk to him like this. Stuart stories. Oh, the stories that that man would have had, and he loved to talk. So you know, he would just talk, and 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 you know, we had Ernie Dingo on the set, so I was more interested in Ernie and anybody yeah, sure. else. And I, like I said, I didn't really know who he was, but the stories I just remember him. To, and people would come over and say. 
um, you know, what about Clint Eastwood? Oh, yeah, I've met Clint and I've done this. And, oh, yeah, I know this. And, and you think, now, wow, to sit him down and have a talk, have a yarn with him would have been amazing. The van part of his name, where does that come from? What's that? Is that um, like a shortened version of something else? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think it's his middle name, Charles Van oh. Johnson, I think was his name. But, yeah, he, he used Van. And he came over with his a- agent, um, Alan Farshko, and yeah. he's a true American, a true New York and yeah. man. Yeah. And um, uh, they couldn't have been nicer to, yeah. to work with. Um, lavender. Van stunk of lavender. Uh, I remember lavender. if you went to his trailer, you opened the door and woof, you got this, this, this kind of woof of lavender. And he always had his red socks on. So um yeah he was, oh. he, was a, he was a funny man. And, and at the time he was old and he had a um uh, a run in with David Letterman uh, and it was and it was really really bad it was horrible because when if you know Van he's deaf as a doornail he really is mm. and and he's over the top and he's a showman you know he was he was vaudeville he was in all he, the, his dancing and all that sort of stuff so he was on Letterman um in the mid 90s I think it was and you can look it up on YouTube it's horrible because van's just being van and he can't hear and so he just tells a story and um letterman was so nasty to him and cut him off and raved about it being the worst interview he's ever had the next day and knowing him and looking at him he was just deaf and um yeah i've always felt really bad about that that but yeah somebody who's such a legend who but like all of a sudden we were talking about earlier today saying that, you know, superstars of the day don't happen now. Because if you're on Home and Away, it's not a big deal now. If you're on um, Neighbours, it's not a big deal now. But back in the 90s and the 80s and way earlier, if you're on television, it was, you know, you were a star. Um, And someone like Van, who was one of the brightest stars of all, who all of a sudden you're not anymore. And you're in a world that where you're kind of irrelevant. And it was so sad to see him treated that way in the end. In his own country. Mm. so And that's what I hate about Australian um, uh, television these days because I know how much love goes into it, but the bad press that comes out, look at Kylie Minogue, um, you know, the singing budgie, and, you know, there's always bad things that are said when you, we should be celebrating things and people. Yeah, we don't do enough of that, not at all. I mean, and even um, speaking of Kylie, when you look at Danny... Always the comparison. That's not yeah, fair either. Always That's completely unfair. Always. So um yeah. So I find I find all that sort of stuff unfair. But you've been writing as well. You've written a book about Mr. Fox. Oh, that, he does, wrote his own book. That's right. But does that have to be edited now? That, to include actually, <laughs> they liked it at Penguins. So I don't know. Oh, there's a dog out there. See, we t- we, we manifested a dog. Let's manifest a million dollars. See if that works. All Talk right, about that. you start first. So your book. So he wrote a book. He wrote a book. Now, can, you, can, I, I, can I just ask first of all, is Jar Jar his sister or his girlfriend, wife? No, well, he's De facto. sister, but sometimes I've seen inappropriateness. Oh, okay, all right. Where I've had to put it. <laughs> I looked. I googled it, and apparently it's all right. Okay, fair enough. But the joy they have playing sometimes. My mother would say, "Oh, play leads to tea as well." In their case, <laughs> yeah, no, mummy has to put a stop to that one. Oh, oh, look at this clever toy! Look at that squeaky one. Oh, let's get distracted. Um, his yes, book, his book, yes, his book is about. It ends up. It he doesn't like the the big washing monster. He doesn't like a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. But he's on the job. He gets outside, 
and he hides behind bushes. This is very true of him. And he just, well, he ambushes people when they walk past and they either fall over or they go, oh, hi, Mr Fox. And he's telling them stories. He's letting them know that down the road they're doing a bit of road work. You want to watch yourself as you turn right into Mackey Road. And, uh, yep, just to let you know, there's uh, a crossing there and the lady's still at the crossing after 9 o'clock. So if you wanted to cross <laughs> over there, you're very welcome uh, outside the school there. And uh, it gives everyone an update <laughs> community-wise. And um, But ultimately, at the very end of it, he talks about the fact that with all these jobs and all the things he does and his great work, um, which he's so proud of, he's happy because he's found where he wants to belong and he, and he, in his fine words, um, he says um, that, that everybody needs a place to be and to be wanted and loved and everybody has that and everybody deserves that and everybody should have somewhere that they feel that they belong. And, Absolutely. And to be safe mm-hmm. and to just be you. So he continues on with his jobs which actually is quite irritating sometimes. He's got quite a few jobs. He sometimes does a few night jobs as well. So does he do a, a Bobby and escape from prison every now and then? Bobby Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah. she used to escape? Um, yes. No, he just possums. He'll bark at the possums. Okay. Yeah, he's quite barky. But um, not like that beautiful dog we just watched then. I know, he's following his owner by the looks of it. Mm. Mine would, both of mine would be, oh, the first day I got Zsa Zsa home, first day they said to me she does escape. And I said, oh, you know, she, she not in my front yard. Mm-hmm. Mr Fox was sitting on the veranda looking really like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. I thought, what's that funny face for? We went outside, she's nowhere. I just got her. She was halfway up the street. She's really stupid, by the way. She's not clever. She can sing in a saloon. I think she moonlights down at the um, fake saloon down at Sovereign Hill or something. <laughs> They've got songs that they sing. I remember singing a huge song that I'd made up for my dogs to Genevieve Lemon and it was big and it had a big finish and it was all showbiz and I said, what about your song for your dog? And she said, mm, we're going to the park, we're going to the park to meet our friends, to meet our friends. Friends and she said, "That's that's it." <laughs> and mine was like, <laughs> "Had a backstory and a." Mine was like three choruses. Mister Foxy, he is not very poxy, <laughs> and there's ja ja boom, and it's a whole thing, and it goes on and it has a big finish and everything. And I sang it to her; she was bored out of her mind, and her song was "We're going to the park, we're going to the park, <laughs> meet our friends." That, yeah. Well, that, her dog probably doesn't have an agent. Well, Mr Fox well, Mr. Fox manages his own affairs uh-huh. just like a certain somebody I remember from the 80s. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he does his own management. He's pretty much a jack of all trades, really. And uh, Zsa Zsa, she gets, she's really stupid, God bless her. When I got her, though, she didn't know how to play with toys. So I don't know what happened with the old man. Yeah, she was with an elderly man. Yeah, different life. I'm yeah. Saying, well, like you said, everybody's got their place, so she's obviously found she's her happy. place. She's happy. She's really sweet and she she just, she, to be honest, we're probably luckier than, than she is. I mean, she would have gone with anyone. Mm. We're the lucky ones to have her. She's really sweet. Absolutely. I, I always say you never trust anybody who isn't a dog person. 
Yeah. They, um, they're just, there's so much love. There's so much I couldn't do without my, my boy, my Charlie. I know. I've seen Charlie yeah. in the pickies. You can't miss him. He's the size of a small horse. But, um, he's a beautiful boy. He's a beautiful boy. Very well behaved. I'd have, I'd definitely have another Labradoodle before I have another kid yeah. any day. Yeah. I'll, I'll even swap the ones I've got for another Labradoodle. Why don't you? Honestly, <laughs> I'll see that happen. You're about to swap your wife over for I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, no, I am too. Barbara Eden, new dog. <laughs> Who said yeah. anything about a midlife crisis? This is right. I've had a couple of those, so that's all right. Oh, well, you're ahead of yourself. <laughs> so your book, you've also written a book. I have. Tell me about the book. Well, okay. I thought, I had all these photos, I just saved them all. You know when you're working on a set, they've got continuity photos and usually they're the Polaroid mm-hmm. style. I'm imagining today it would be Yeah, I was going to say, well, they, yeah, they'd be digital now. And they'd all be gone and lost. But I had all these photos of everybody and I just kept them. So at the end of every studio week when they didn't need them or at the end of every block when they didn't need them anymore, I'd just take them all home and go through them. And keep some. And I don't know why. I didn't really have a reason to do it. And um, I just looked at them all one day. There were tubs of them and they're everywhere. My Logies invitations, things like that, that were just, were just in tubs with labels on the front. I thought, oh. So I just started writing it and it's called Shut Your Face, You Stupid Bitch, which is a line I had in prison. I, I probably wasn't the only person to ever have that line. And um, I didn't think anyone would read it, to be honest. And now I've sold over 300 copies and I'm still selling them. Well, well if, um, if anybody wants a copy, um, I'll get them to message me and yes. I'll forward it on to you. Yeah, I'll because give you someone call. else is handling for the, me, what, them for me now because right, excellent. I'm, I'm useless. It's, oh, oh bad, <laughs> me bad computer, me talk pretty one day, maybe it'll all come together one day. Well, I'll put I'll, I'll get the information off you and I'll put it on the Thank on you. the Facebook page. But um, but yeah, There's I'm very excited. There's heaps of photos. There were so many, including ones of Abigail and myself. I had a flick through it today. It's amazing. I know. It's it covers everything. So it starts out with prisoner and then, but it it goes back and forth between different things. What's your most cherished memory in the book? Actually, probably to the photos. To be honest, we had such fun. Hmm. I mean, show business. I know it's a grind and there's a lot of waiting around. And there's a bit of pressure, especially if you've got to suddenly cry or something like that. And and television is not very forgiving in terms of time. And mm. you're doing a huge blockbuster film, you've got three days to work your way up to tears, you know, whereas on TV you literally have to just find, find that really – and it hurts. Sometimes mm. it's really hard to do. You really have to hurt yourself. Um, and it's not shot in a – chronological order either so your next scene you could be you know you have to recover things like that but but for the better part isn't it fun it's just oh, it's, fun. There's, there's like i said before there's nothing like it how there's ridiculous no... does everyone get when they're bored mm-hmm. how stupid do people find things to dress up in and just turn up out of nowhere and you think what what are you doing oh i got bored yeah i did a um i did a series called hill's end with um it was directed by the beautiful Didro. And um and there were seven children. There were animals. There was a bull that escaped in the in the stories. Di used to call it the four o'clock funnies. When at four o'clock you just lose it. Uh. And all of us would lose it at the same time, including the adults. But yeah. uh, but yeah, you get to that stage when you're on a film set where you've been there all day, and it just you just lose it. You just go a bit silly. And also, depending on the on the show, like for Prisoner, those women were very strong. Mm. Walking into that green room 
my very first day, I'd been in before because I had to have my hair cut off for my character was a punk. Mm. So I had to chop my hair off and stuff. So I'd been in once. And then the next time I went in, I was at work and it was a rehearsal day. And when it's already someone's working environment, you're, you could be out there, you could be gone next week. Really. Yeah. yeah, you're the newbie. Yeah, and, and, so, and this was new to me on so many levels. I had not worked in this situation before. And so just walking into that green room and everyone looked like they knew what they were doing and what I did not know. I had too many pens and stuff. What was I going to start <laughs> writing? Was I at school? At school I didn't even go to. <laughs> Once you, you have to prove yourself actually. Yeah. You know that. That, like, that terrified me more than anything because I'm not a good cold reader. So if we had to do a read-through of a script, and mm. I remember we did one at Ellie and Jules and I sat next to Abby and she just – Held my hand under the table, oh. um, but but yeah, it terrifies me doing cold reading. I'm okay if I learn a line and I can you know, improvise or work or, but but yeah, cold reading terrified me, especially when you're in front of people who you admire so much and you know that, like you said before, they're on a time. You know, you've got you've got to get through this. Someone's timing it while you're speaking. Yeah, they you are. Know? That's what happens. I but know it's, but it is there is such fun to be had. There's a lot of fun to be had. I mean, in on Prisoner, for example. Judy McBurney, one of the actresses in the show who played a character called Pixie, she'd left her cat back in Sydney and the show was shot in Melbourne. So there was a big court case in the green room over two lunch times. Mm-hmm. Like, waste of time. You can't get that back, right? Not that you'd want to. And every crew as well and there was a jury, there was a prosecutor. Should Judy have custody of her own cat? Mm-hmm. She lost the custody of the cat. Oh, did she? To um, I think Raylene Pierce, who played, didn't even want the cat actually. <laughs> she played Phyllis Hunt. So we, we did a lot of silly things. It was good fun. Who was um Who was in prisoner on your time? Was it the freak or was it Vinegar Tits? No, it was the freak. But oh, Vinegar okay. Tits played my um, Vinegar. Poor old Fiona. <laughs> Fiona Spence. She played my foster mother in the kids show I did before Prisoner. Oh, that's right. I remember you saying that before. Mm. And so five weeks after doing that, there I was on the Prisoner set. Her old stomping ground. And, yeah, Maggie was in it. Maggie's a fantastic actress and a really mm. wonderful person. Oh, she's incredible. And the, so some of the iconic characters that came out of that show, you know, you're, you're, you're um, Sheila Florence, um, Lizzie Birdsworth. and um, yeah. When it started, I remember Uncle Raby saying that he got a briefing at the, the – um, from the network saying, we ha- ha- we've got this new drama coming up. We don't know how long it's going to last for. It's with women and they're all from the theatre. So we don't know what you should expect. Good luck. And pretty much that set the tone for the show. It was quite theatrical. Mm, it was. It really was. It was like a little piece of theatre on telly. It was very interesting. So I've, I've skipped over this. You've, well, you've mentioned this a couple of times, but I've got to get oh. the backstory. Uncle Rabies. Well, I don't know how it started. I do know how it started. I think somebody, he had, he was Mr. Fixer for everyone's woes and Dorothy Dix and everything else. Yeah. Just an, and a really nice, gentle soul. Like nothing was a problem. They could have been going bananas up in the control room and screaming and swearing and snapping pencils and whatever. But you'd never know with Uncle Rabies on the floor. He'd just be on, at, you know, on set just really calmly, just translating. And, um, because anyone on the cans, on any of the camera crew would hear, any boom swingers, everyone would be able to hear what was going on otherwise. But 
not the cows. We didn't know unless they used the key to yell at you, which mm. they never did. I didn't ever see it. And anyway, someone said, "Thank you, Ray," or or rabies, or I don't know how. One person said it. I think it could have been Betty Bobbitt, and it just stuck. And in fact, there was a character in the show. Um, Alex Menglet played the character. He was the chef that was in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and his character was Gay Ray. That's how he was, you know, that's how the the characters in the show used to refer to him as Gay Ray. And he he slipped it in as often as he possibly could. He'd say, come to your Uncle Rabies. <laughs> Uncle Rabies will fix it. Did you ever get to take control of the press in the laundry? Yes. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, no, can you imagine that shock That's that massive. I got that day? Bobby, take over. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Did you get to put anybody's hands in there? Nah. Oh, that's no nah. fun. Come on, they could have given you a go. Well, it wasn't hot, really. Somebody got their head in there once, didn't they? Might as well. Yeah. In Why with not? a penny. Yeah, no, that was just obviously, was it dry ice or something? Mm, I and, think so. And there'd be a props guy just pressing it at the right <laughs> moment. So big action, huge action of pressing it down. And, well, it was really flimsy. Oh, but it was so dramatic at the time. Like, that was massive. Like yes. A, you know, and, and you knew who the top dog was because she was on there. And yeah. if somebody got to take over, that was, you, you made it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to use the press twice, but it was really, you know, guy accident. So mm. there was no one else. Bobby, um, take over. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's you did it, though. Hair. I know. Yeah, I know the hair. How much? Well, the hair. Let's talk about the hair for a minute. So I had very long hair before I started the show and they said to me, you'll have to cut it off. And I said, I won't do the show then. I'm fine. (laughs) I Seriously, I said that to them. My father, of course, my manager father said, well, it's only hair. It will grow back. (laughs) I said, well, that's a point. Didn't even consider it. Which is what your hair was. Your hair was a point. It was a... Oh, well, in the end. They... Cut it right off. So how long was it when they cut well, it off? Well, it was really short. It was very short. And she was a punk and they had different colours and stuff in it. But then it obviously over two years it grew and it kept growing. And we talked about putting in different little coloured ponytails and little knots and things like that. But the production house said no. So they just kept teasing it. It looked ridiculous. <laughs> they used to say, to, they used to call me, well, they had a few nicknames for me, the crew. So when they call us in the green room, um, sometimes I was electric head. <laughs> I might have had a serious scene to do. Show a bit of respect. Uh, electric head to the floor. Yeah, electric head, you're on. Then they called me, because of my name, Clipping Gators, right? At first they were nice to me, so they called me Killing Alligators. <laughs> and then it became Clubbing Alligators. And then one day one of the crew came in and said, uh, Lemon and fucking alligators, you're <laughs> on. <laughs> Well, hello. There's a stretch if ever I've seen one. She just got her surname, Genevieve Lemon. No one consulted me or anything. So You can, you can sue for that now. I'm still going to <laughs> do a pick-up on the lawsuit. Um, when we all finished up, we had different presents that we made for everybody and Judith McGrath started actually. She's the late Judith McGrath. Mm. She started it. She, got, she used to get fan mail for Mrs Powell. And it used to say, Dear Mrs. Pal, as in the dog uh, food, right? Oh wow. Yes, Dear Mrs. Pal. And so when she left, she got badges made up for everybody, cast and crew, that said, Po Face loves you, Pal is free. 
So when I left, I got, of course, you know, I just stole her idea. And and I got badges made up with love and electric head. I didn't put fucking alligators on it. No, no. No. It wouldn't fit on there anyway. (laughs) And Genevieve had Go Suck a Lemon. Yeah, after that. No, I don't think anyone did badges. I think we ruined the idea. (laughs) And Sheila Florence gave everyone a potted plant, which I thought was very nice. Yeah, that's lovely. I think at one point we had Lizzie's Port as well. There was some... Oh, okay. Yeah. And for years, my manager father, James, Jurgis, James, uh, a.k.a. if you anglicise it, uh, James, Clipping Gators, <laughs> he had it on his bar. He didn't watch the show. I once said to him, Dad, could you just run these lines with me? It's just a few lines. And they were Maggie's lines, okay, the Joan Ferguson the Freaks lines. Oh, that would have been wonderful to hear. Well, him yeah, doing really? Because this is what I said. I, I had something mundane to say, like, mm. I, was, I, was just going, I, I was just going to the loo, Miss Ferguson, and, and he'd say, right, I will get you, Mitchell. Just you wait and see. <laughs> I said, no, Dad, that's too distracting. I can't. That's... <laughs> Thank you for helping me, Dad. <laughs> Not a problem anytime. Anytime at all. Action. Perfect. And cut. Parents were really funny. We had a funny upbringing. You know, you were saying that you had this idyllic family upbringing, really beautiful, solid. Really grounded. Yeah. yeah. And ours was completely dysfunctional. But in, in that we were just – mum had enough, I think, after four of us. And mum – just let us do whatever we wanted, really. So we, d- I mean, what sort of mother, when you think about it, you say, "Mom, can we go knock-knocking at night, just around the streets, banging on people's door, making social nuisances of ourselves?" Mum says, "As long as you don't break a window." Yeah. <laughs> and my brother did. He picked up a half a brick and oh, threw no. it. Well, we could see the silhouette of the family sitting on. I know. Wow. No, that shames me to tell that story. Oh, so don't say that. No, I haven't told that story. <laughs> did I think it or did I say it? I'm not sure. I do that. I have my outside voice. It just happens now as I get older. Oh, I catch myself talking to myself yeah. in the supermarket because I live alone. So I have some great – I answer myself with some really good answers too. That's why my mother used to talk to herself. She said, you get better answers. You get better answers. <laughs> um, yeah. We just used to do anything we wanted really. It didn't matter. How did you handle the dreaded – F word, fame. How, when, was, when was the first time you were recognised? Oh, that came really soon after the character aired. Uh, so we're talking prisoner? Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. prisoner. Yeah, well, I still it, it get, can you believe it? I look as I've been exhumed, really. Oh, come on. No. And, ah, come on. <laughs> True, I'll be 58 oh, on the 17th of this month. And so, uh, yeah, I still, I still, I went. To the second hand shop with my son. He was getting stuff because his housemate was moving out and he needed to replace some stuff that she was taking of hers. And um, from behind the counter, the woman said, Oh, you're Bobby from Prisoner. I said, Oh. And then I, I don't know where they came from. It was scary. A whole lot of old ladies with grey hair just came <laughs> from nowhere, like, like little zombies, <laughs> and said, Oh, Bobby, I'll remember, I'll remember that. Yes, yes. It takes me back. That's what a freak. Is the freak still around there? I was about seventeen, and I snuck out um, with a friend of mine, oh. uh, Margaret, who was um, who was very well respected by my pa- my mum. Margaret was a couple of years older, and we snuck to the cross one night. Um, we said, "Oh, I'm just going to Margaret's house," and she said she was going to my place, and we jumped on the train and went to the cross. 
And um, I was about 16, and so Ellie and Jules was just on, and um, and we're walking down the main street of the cross, and we walk past the Pink Pussycat or one of those shows, and there's a big Tongan bouncer mm. out the front who would just kill you with his stares. Mm. And um, and I kind of walked past, and I looked like a 10-year-old, and, um, and he kind of looked at me and said, hey, Jules, you want to come in and see some pussy? Right. And I'm like, no, thank you very much, and just kept yeah. walking. <laughs> but that was one of the times I was recognised. You got recognised. outside the pink pussycat. By a giant <laughs> bouncer. That's right. Outside so, a place of disrepute. This is right. So oh. what other stories do you have of? Um, I had, once I went to a shopping centre, just like, just went to the shopping centre and had, they had to call security. Mm. How ridiculous. Couldn't get out. It's such a funny thing because... Because it's so exciting to work, and the fame, the fame thing or the recognition thing, you don't think about I when you're doing it. I never thought about it. It was a drag to do things that publicity stuff, and and the publicity department knew that we didn't really want to, but you have to because it's part of the job. Yeah. It's just part yeah. of the deal. It comes with it. Some it of does. the publicity stuff was good fun. Hmm. It still amazes me how many things they get wrong though. How they can get names wrong, or they can get yeah. like it's incredible when you sit down with somebody and you give them all the information and. They get it wrong. I went, we were sent off to the races, Toddy Goldsmith and I, and I don't know, everything was paid for and I was completely a non-drinker and Toddy said, you've got to have some of this, it's lovely. Oh, it's shampoo, have some. So I had some champagne. I thought, actually, it's quite nice, this fizzy stuff. It's nice, a bit like lemonade. So I had a few of them and, of course, I got drunk. And I have, was wearing clothes that they had borrowed for me from Chapel Street in uh, South Yarra, including a hat and everything. So where we got a bit psycho killer Keskasay down there, and we went back to Toddy's place. And Toddy's father, he owned the underground nightclub in I think it's King Street in the city, and. It was the place to go, the underground. It was very groovy, kind of studio, is it 54? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, Toddy took me and had a few champagnes and I was wearing her clothes by this time and left all my borrowed stuff at her house just on the floor and she took me into this big room with huge doors and we went through and there sitting there was her father with all of this beautiful gold jewellery on and a heap of I, people I probably should have known, but, well, one, I was a bit drunk, and two, I, I was too young to realise, and a bit like you with Van Johnson, not mm. knowing which questions yeah. to ask or yep. who to ask after or whatever. So I was there, but I did recognise one, and she said, this is my auntie, this is Olivia, and mm-hmm. there was Olivia Newton-John. Oh, wow. She was so pretty. Yeah. I was wearing is. wine goggles, but, yeah, she was very pretty. And so the next day... Totty rang my house and my dad and my manager dad answered and he said, Totty Goldsmith on the phone. And she said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Wow. Talk about your shampoo. And anyway, she said, I'll see you at work on rehearsal. I'll bring your borrowed clothes in. And when she brought them in, they were so, so wrecked. Oh, no. Yeah, they were really wrecked. They were dirty. They'd been trodden on. I must have fallen over. <laughs> <laughs> there was... Mud and dirt and the hat, forget it. Like, it was gone. And they borrowed that. Oh, no. From a fancy, schmancy, you know, boutique in Chapel Street. I didn't get into trouble, but it was talked about. I'm it, sure it was. Yeah, because um, 
wardrobe in on prisoner said apparently you ruined this outfit and the hat had to be re-blocked completely. Oh, no. Was that bad? I've been lucky enough to come down to um, the Melbourne Cup a few times and it fascinated me how stunning the ladies were in the mornings. Yeah. And then in well, the afternoon they've got they one the, shoe on, they vomit Tottie. down their side. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was I think we were singing show tunes or something on <laughs> wasn't pretty but look that those are, look some things that can be really good fun and doing telethons as well which is mm-hmm. for a good reason now you're raising money for a charity but also there's nice stuff associated with that you get flown for like just to do very little except be yourself and mm-hmm. um they give you gifts and things like that all nice things and then of course the same happens when you're in a show like when we did family and friends we were the biggest thing that was supposed to happen to channel nine in ages and we got free gym memberships. We got everything. Limousines. We got everything. And as soon as the show was finished, so yeah. was that. Yep. Yeah, Gone. Yep. Make your That's, own way back to Melbourne, thanks. That was the only, I, I would I would say, I, I've been recognised a lot, long time ago. Um, but the only day I really felt like a celebrity was the day we did the Perth Telethon. Um, it was incredible. You know, I was in a room with all these famous people and people ringing up to speak to me and... Um, and that was where I got to meet Celine Dion and, um, you know, it, it was just, it, that was the day where you felt, oh, okay, like this is, this is exciting. Yeah. But then, like you said, then it finishes, well, the show finishes, the, you fly back home and... Psh. You had a fancy one then. Genevieve and I got flown somewhere and they, they put on a, a, a backyard, <laughs> some sort of barbecue and some salads and stuff and they were just old, you know, old actors who... But had their had their day in the sun and and really, but they wanted to tell you all about it, mm. and we were just standing there and like the stories wouldn't stop. And Genevieve just said to me when there was a moment, she said, "Oh my God, how many more dinosaur stories do we have to listen to?" But you know, when I look back at that now, that was rude of us really to have that attitude because these people were valuable to our industry. And in fact, as you were saying earlier, not enough is done. Now, we should be using our actors. Absolutely. We should be using our, our mature age actors. There should be stuff that's set up. Wouldn't it be great to have something set up with all of our older actors that, you know, what are they doing? Rowena, I know she's not doing a whole lot. But she's been looking and she's been very vocal mm. about looking. Yeah. And, and sh- I mean, surely there's something where, you know, we can we can use all these talents. And there's certainly enough um, um, people who adore her and adore... So many actors who are out of work, and I always it, it always worries me when I look back at TV Week covers from fifteen years ago, and you think all these people who are on the cover of every magazine, you don't see them anymore, and um and it's I, I find that or you see hard. them popping up if they're lucky, and this is not an actor's dream at all, mm. in an ad for um uh, aged health insurance or something. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've always, I've always had um, my biggest fear is showing up in a where are they now, and you know, and they and they have a horrible photo of mm. you and your mean with my fat pants or, you know, somewhere where you're getting a photo taken where you're not wanted, and um, yeah, I, I, I always worry about that because it's not about, you know, we're all human. I remember I was walking through yeah. Amanda and I were walking through. Um, uh, Coles or Woolworths once and you know we had a screaming kid in the trolley toilet paper and you know everything that we need um, in the shopping it was piled up it was about 11 o'clock at night 
and we walked past the magazines and I kind of stopped and I said to Amanda, remember when I was video hunk of the month in TV hits? And she's like, yeah, keep going. And <laughs> you know, Yes, this is I my wasn't new even, reality. I wasn't even DVD hunk of the month. It was video. Right. But, um, but, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny how things, you know, you, you certainly it's always like a yo-yo. walk back down to earth. And, that, and that's so true. And I always, I always say it's like being on stage in a theatre show how, um, you know, before the show, the audience comes in, everything's exciting and you're on stage and you're feeding from the audience and you're backstage and there's hustle and bustle and there's people and you come out afterwards and people want you to sign their programs and it's all, you know, up and everything's yeah. so brilliant and then you're in a car on your own driving home and you go Like the, I know. the, the highs and the lows, it's, it's, you understand how people can't handle that. Because it's I, addictive. Like you, I had a nice solid family who didn't even know about anything to do with show business. So my dad actually once introduced me amongst his friends. He said, this is my daughter, Caroline. Yep. <laughs> my brother, Francis. Uh, sorry, my son, Francis. My other daughter, Belinda. And this is my <laughs> oldest daughter here, Bobby Mitchell. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not my name, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> But that's pretty much all they knew. They didn't know. They didn't know any of what I was doing. I'd go up to Sydney and do a job and they didn't know what family and friends was. I'd have to tell them it was on and they'd forget. Mum would be watching, you know, some English show or something. Uh, my mum's obsessed with UK TV. She watches every mm. UK. I've started to watch some actually. It's quite good. They've got some good stories. It'd be good to be an actor over there because the same... Five or six actors in every show. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you could get a job on Coronation Street. That's still going. Mm. Yeah, but they've also produced some really out there stuff. It's a shame that we don't follow suit. The Young Ones, for example, oh, that series. Iconic. Oh. And they only it. did 12. Yeah. And the same with um, um, uh, Faulty Towers. Right. There was only 12. Really? Yeah, and Mr. Bean, there was only a small amount. I think yeah, like it's clever, isn't 16 it? Sixteen or something, but you think it was on for years because it's Actually, always on. You watch them. Because Zane was over the other day, and we were watching a bit of the young ones, and he said to me, "Is this still the same episode?" And I said, mm. "Yeah, they just jam pack so much in." Oh, absolutely! It was it was just so offbeat and exciting, and the characters were mental. And it was just about the chemistry and the laughter. You know, that's they were doing those characters at uni before. Mm -hmm. Well, not all of them, but I know that Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail were, and Nigel Planner was doing Neil as a stand-up character as well. Also, I I know that Jane Turner and Gina Riley have been friends for a long, long time. Yep. And that they started out, I think, at St Martin's Theatre, which is here in South Yarra, mm -hmm. and. Um, they were young girls back then, and they, and uh, you can see the uh, evolution, if you like, of um, Jane Turner's Kath Day Night, because you can see she's done a sim. Good honour, but she's built the character over yeah. the years. She's had the opportunities; those opportunities aren't there anymore for people coming up like that. Right. And those people ended up making their own stuff. Yeah, and that's. I think that would be the ultimate if you could yeah. get to the stage where you can make your own stuff and make your own career um i know margot robbie's doing it now you know she's she's um had such success in the in the u.s and now she's producing her stuff how brilliant would that be we almost don't need those um people in suits and ties at, at, that 
make and, and break shows like Family and Friends anymore mm. because people are just making stuff to go straight out there, streaming it and things like that. Yeah, and we can get stuff out now. Like, you know, I love I love doing this because it can be on my terms, it can be with people I know and love and people, you know, can just yep. talk about anything. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I really, oh, really appreciate it. Thank you for so inviting it's a, me. It's been a long, way, long time coming. Maxine Klimingatis, I love you. I um, love you. You're, you're part of the family now and have been for a long time and, um, yeah, hopefully we'll um, get together again soon. We will. You know we will. I know we Thank will. you so very much. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. For those that can't see you, you have this amazing aura. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just my big head. That's oh, there's pretty shiny lights over it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Didn't factor that in. Lovely to see you as always. Oh, bye bye, Dallin. Bye bye. Bye. Yarn About You is a centre stage creative production. Follow us on Facebook by searching Yarn About You or visit yarnaboutyou.com.au for more information about the podcast and our guests.